So we're going to be in Acts chapter 9 today as we continue this series. It's called Scattered. And we, uh, when we left off last week, Philip had uh, gone up to the chariot, the Ethiopian eunuch. We talked about how one man led one man to Christ. He baptizes him. That man goes back. That one man transforms the continent of Africa. And today, we're going to look at another conversion and how one man changed all of Western civilization. You and I are actually sitting here today worshiping Jesus because of the event that we're about to study in chapter 9. But I have to tell you again, and I, and I warn you of this all the time, but I, I keep seeing it everywhere. And I, I know you're not reading what I read, but I'm amazed at... the what I keep hearing from people who I thought were solid Christians. They don't believe the Bible is the Word of God. They don't believe in its eternal truth. They they say things like, studying Noah, for instance. It, you know, they said, there was a, a lady recently that wrote an article, supposedly a great Christian, all right? She works in a very high-profile position, sought-after speaker. She said, she said, I don't believe in the myth of Noah, And she said, but I'll tell you this, even reading it makes me angry at Noah and it makes me hate God. Now, I'm not talking about some fringe person. This is a person that's in a conservative, well, that's not true, in a conservative group, let's say it that way. Um, But I keep reading this stuff and uh, let me just tell you the story real quick, okay? So Noah takes 120 years to build that boat. If you don't know the story, feel free to go look it up. It's in Genesis 6, 7, 8, and 9. He takes 120 years to build that boat. Noah preaches for 120 years, and everybody there has an opportunity to repent. The fact that they don't is not God's fault. It's their fault, and it's our fault. All right. But I want you to know that this craziness is out there and you're going to read it because it's become mainstream. It's not like it's the weird people writing it now. It's the people that grew up and they know better. But they write the most ridiculous things. They're preaching the most ridiculous things. Always check with your Bible because the Bible is the Word of God, not some person. Just remember that. All right. That's, that's essential. All right. Now, I have to tell you, I don't make it a habit of loaning people money. That's probably a good habit to get into, but a friend of mine got in a jam, and I thought, okay, so I loaned him $300. All right, here, I took a picture up before I gave it to him. There they are. And, um, well, I, I didn't hear from him again. In fact, he ghosted me. And y'all didn't know I knew that word, did you? He wouldn't return my calls. He wouldn't return my texts. Literally, the guy just disappeared. I'm not going to lie to you. I lost interest in that deal. (laughs) Should I bring the kids back out? (laughs) It seems to me that the church, Christians, we lose interest in following God. In fact, as one writer has said, the laziness of the church is our laziness in chasing after God. And because it's real easy to read, and the the lady that posted that blog about hating God, all these people chimed in, yeah, man, you're right. It's about time somebody said this stuff. And I'm like, "Hmm, how about somebody go back and read the book? 
Instead of reading her crazy blog, why don't you go back and read what the Word of God has to say? Go back and find out why these decisions were made. And, and just for the record, I want you to know this. God doesn't care what you think. All right? You can write that down. God, I don't care who you think you are. God is not interested in what you and I think. He loves us, but he's not asking for our opinion. When you stand before him, your opinion won't mean a thing. Only what Jesus has done on the cross. But we'll start off with Churchill. You know Churchill's great speech before Parliament when he got up and he said, Never, never, never. We will never, never, never give up. We will fight on the land. We will fight on the sea. We will fight on the homelands. We will fight. You know the speech. 1940 before the House of Commons. It's an incredible message. That is what this message is today. And I want you to know that wherever you are, it is never too late. All right? Now look, we're going to get into some heavy stuff. It's never too late for you to repent. It's never too late for you to turn to Jesus. It's never too late if you're involved in a sexual relationship and you're not married. You need to get out of it. An extramarital sexual affair, you need to get out of it. A homosexual relationship, you need to get out of it. An addiction, you need to get out of it. You're, you're involved with stealing money from your company. It is never too late for you to change. And I think what happens is people get, we, I know what happens. We get absorbed in the ditch. We get into that sin and it's too easy to say, well, there's just no way out. The cross is the way out. The cross is the way out. And there's a lot of Christians that are still in the trench, still buried under a hole and thinking, I'm never going to be able to change. I'm never going to be able to get out of this. The point is, it is never, ever too late. Stand with me out of respect for God's word. Chapter nine. Here we go. So we left off with Philip. <clears throat> Philip preaches. Philip baptizes. Philip disappears. He ends up preaching in Caesarea. And then the, the, the chapter changes, okay? Meanwhile, meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way... They didn't call us Christians yet. They didn't call it the church. They called us the way. Anybody have a plan where that came from? John 14, Jesus said, I am the... Whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I'm Jesus. Whom you're persecuting. Now get up, go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind, and he did not eat or drink anything. He's sorting his life out. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias, yes, Lord. He didn't want to hear this. Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he's praying. In a vision, he's seen a man named Ananias come and place his hand on him and restore his sight. Ananias, Lord, 
I've heard a lot of reports about this man and all the harm that he has done to the saints in Jerusalem. And he's come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all of us who call on your name. But the Lord said, go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, he has sent me so that you may again be filled with the Holy Spirit. You may see again. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up immediately and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. And if you read the next verse, it says, and then he began to preach every day. We'll come back to that later. You can be seated. So, first of all, you're never too late. See, Saul, Saul is a Pharisee. Now, that doesn't mean a whole lot to us today. Uh, you hear the word Pharisee, and it, it has a connotation to you. It means somebody that's arrogant. They're um, full of themselves, looking down at other people. And, and Saul was all of that. But a Pharisee was also brilliant. And according to Scripture and according to history, Saul was the most brilliant, maybe of all brilliant. Saul knew the Bible the Old Testament like nobody had ever known it before. He was a rising rocket star. He is the man that everybody turns to because he knows it so well. But again, he is a Pharisee. And Pharisees don't put up with anything from anybody else. And so when you go to Acts 7, Pastor Cord preached Acts 7, Ben and David preached Acts 7. We talked about Stephen where we went through the, the whole history of Israel. And then at the end of chapter 7, after, after Stephen has laid out the incredible gospel message, what happens? Stephen is stoned to death. But you can't just stone somebody to death. Even if they have committed whatever crime you accuse them of, there has to be an official there who gives permission that says, yes, they are guilty and they deserve to be stoned. Does anybody remember who was standing there? It was Saul. It was Saul. Now, if you go to Israel, and I love to tell people this story, we know exactly where Stephen was stoned to death. It's crazy because the, 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 the text gives us enough information. And right now there's a Greyhound bus station there. And so I love to say to people, see that Greyhound bus? Right there, that's where Stephen was stoned to death. I mean, we really know that's the spot. And But I can also tell you, for those of you that are wondering about this story, uh, if you went to Damascus today, Straight Street's still there. And the house that Paul went to, Saul went to, still there. You can look, Google, some of you are already asleep. Go ahead and Google it. Look it up while we're sitting here. Um, but it's all still there. The only thing I can't prove is the blinding light and the speech. How I prove that is to show you the change that happened in Saul. And I'm telling you, that's what your friends and family need to see. And that's why it's important that we get away and repent from these sinful behaviors. Because people know what we used to be. And when they see that we've changed, it makes them wonder, who is this Jesus? 
If there's no change in my life, in my sexuality, in my serving, in my attitude, with my mouth, if there's no change in that, then people are not going to be interested in what we have. But I want you to know it's not too late. Some of you are thinking, I've gone too far, I've lived too long, I've been too ingrained for too long. It's too... No. Now's the time. Paul's a, Saul's a grown man at this point. And Saul does a 180 in his life. Some of you are thinking, I'm too old to accept Jesus. I'm too old to change. I'm too old to, to get this right. No, there's no day like the present. So if you're watching online, there's a button. I've decided. Palm Bay to land. Go to, to David and Ben. You're here. Come up here. There'll be people up here to greet you. Last weekend, I didn't really get a chance to share this. Last weekend, we had 24 people who were baptized into Christ. It was one of the, one of the great weekends of, uh, of my life. Um, and, and we've already got people lined up for this week. We've got people lined up for, uh, for next month. God, God keeps bringing people who are hungry to know about God. But you're sitting there and you're thinking, well, that's great for everybody else. But it's too late for me. Now it's never too late. Do you know Abraham was 90 when God put the call on him? You know, Moses was 80 when God called him. So don't tell me it's too late. It's, there's nothing I can do. I can't change. No, you can repent right where you are. You can change today and say from here on out is where I'm, I'm going to turn this around. Because I want you to understand that Saul would not have been on any Christian's prayer list. He's the least likely, he's the least likely guy that's going to be converted. And yet, he's the one. You know, the Bible talks about the heart, you know, the changes happen in the heart. And all my life, I guess through most of history's life, we've read about how, you know, the Bible's just talking about the emotional seat, that the brain is what runs everything, right? Recently, just within the last couple of months, science, medical science, has found out, and they don't know why or how, but they found out, feel free to check me out, the heart sends twice as many messages to the brain as the brain sends to the heart. So it turns out, God was right, who knew? It turns out when God says, created me a new heart, that the heart is the key. It's not just a muscle pumping blood. There's something else going on there. When Ezekiel said, give me a heart of flesh, not a heart of stone. It is the seed of emotion, but there's something else going on. Isn't that interesting? When David cries out in Psalm 51, create in me, Lord, a new heart. They're like, you know, well, that's cute. It's poetic language. It just turns out to be very true. That the heart and the brain actually work together, almost like they were created. How about that? Isn't, that? isn't that good stuff? So it's never too late to stop that sin, to start doing the right thing, to get yourself right with God, to walk out of... And I'm not talking about walking out of a marriage. I'm talking about walking out of a mess. It's never too late to fix a marriage. Some people have been in a, in a bad marriage for 20 years, and, and, and I hear it all the time. It's like, well, I just decided it's time to get out. No, it's time to fix it. It's never too late to start and do the right thing so that we can have what we wanted all along. 
It's never too late. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast all of your anxiety on the Lord because he cares for you. National Mental Healthness, Mental Healthness Month. We probably should have that every month, shouldn't we? Yeah. Huh? Every day, yeah. I'm like, yeah, that's me. Now you put me on the poster, all right? That's okay. All right, cast all of your anxiety on the Lord because it's never too late. But also, you're never too evil. Because there's another group of people you're watching online. Some of you didn't even show up at church today because you think that's you. Because of what you did last night, because of what you did last, last week. Some of you are in here having a hard time because what you did, what you participated in. Listen, if the cross tells us anything, you're never too evil. Now, please listen to this. It, it is not a license to continue. That, that's kind of where the progressive church is today. Oh, it's okay. In fact, we'll embrace your sin. And, and we'll make your, your sin legal. And you can just enjoy life. No. No. But God loves you regardless of how evil you've been. And he calls us to repent. He calls us to change. He calls us to turn. He didn't tell Saul, keep doing what you're doing. He told Saul, we're going to change you. And what is the call on Saul's life? Ananias doesn't want to go deal with him. Because Ananias knows he kills Christians. He got, a per, he got a permission to arrest Christians, but don't be fooled for a minute. And he was. He was dragging women and children out of their house. But it says he's breathing murderous threats. He walks into Damascus and says, I'm here to kill the Christians. And all he needs is an excuse. He goes to arrest you and you say the wrong word. He accuses you of something. Now he can kill you. Right, this, this is not a good man. And Saul will be very honest about himself later. However, God said, I've chosen this man. Saul finds Jesus. And if you're keeping score, he wrote a third of your New Testament. And without Saul finding Jesus, none of us are here today. Now, I'm not telling you that God wouldn't have found another way. Because God would have. But Ananias had to have the courage to go to Saul... Saul accepts Jesus, Saul's baptized, and immediately Saul starts teaching. Saul's going to go all over the Roman Empire. He'll go as far as Spain. And it's, a, it's just a few hundred years later that the gospel will move its way into Europe or, or England. And then here we are. So you and I have direct contact to what was happening in a little house on a street called Straight in a city called Damascus. And here we are. But you're thinking, I'm too evil. Too bad. I've sinned too much. I don't think you can trump Paul. <clears throat> but I'll tell you what I also think. I think it's a cop-out. Oh, I'm too bad to go to church. Oh, the walls will fall down. Dude, you ain't got nothing on the people that are already in here. All right? Can I get an amen? amen. All right? And see, if people think, and again, I'm not suggesting we go out and sin to show them that they're qualified to come here. I'm suggesting that they see the change in us and say, hey, I went there and I found Jesus and I got changed. And I'm telling you, if I can go in that building, you can go in that building. All right. That's what Jesus' message is all about. You are never too evil. Let's do a creation moment just for a minute. All right. Here's the sun, the moon, and the stars. All right. I messed this up last night, so I'm going to read it so I, so I don't mess it up. 
All right. The sun tells us the time, right? Before we invented watches and clocks, how did people tell time? By the sun. Thank you for coming. All right. The moon tells us the months. Yes? Every month. All right. New moon. And the stars. The stars tell us the years. You can follow it. So here's the point. You and I live inside the greatest clock that's ever been made. Tells us the day, the month, and the year. By accident? That's what we're told. That I live accidentally inside of the greatest clock ever designed. And that all just happened by chance. The sun, the moon, the stars, you and me. That's ridiculous. It was designed by a creator... A creator who says, I love you and you can never be so evil that I can't love you. And I think this is what church struggles with. And listen, I get it. And I'll just use the most horrible example I can use right now. Okay. So if Vladimir Putin were to repent and accept Jesus, could he go to heaven? See, that's hard. Because there's another side of me that has other thoughts about Vladimir Putin. And I get that. And I understand that. But God's working on a field so beyond us. You need to understand that God sees Vladimir's sin the same way he sees our sin. And all of it needs to be covered by the blood of Jesus. So anybody can go to heaven if you repent. Never too evil. It's never too late. You're never too evil. And you never have to be too scared. Now, there's a whole lot of fear going on in this story. Saul's on the road. The Damascus Road, by the way, there's gates all around the old city of Jerusalem. And there's a gate called the Damascus Gate. It's still there, the, the very spot where Saul walked out. He goes straight north. It's 90 miles to Damascus. And on that road, as he's getting toward Damascus, is where this bright light happens. God, Jesus himself, speaks to him. The light is so bright that he's he's blinded. Saul's scared to death. All the people around him in the group, in the entourage he's with, scared to death. I'm guessing the guy at the house, scared to death. And then God says to Ananias, hey, I need you to go talk to Saul. (laughs) No, 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 no. God, I think you missed a chapter. This is the guy that's killing everybody in Jerusalem. Now, I want, to, I want to give Ananias the benefit of the doubt that he's worried about you. You know, he's killing a lot of other people. Ananias is worried about himself. God, if I go there, he's going to kill me. And God said, listen, I've already sent him a dream. He's got a vision. I'm speaking to you. So he walks over. You talk about some courage. He walks into the house and he says, Brother Saul, God's restored your sight. And he prays over him and it changes the whole story. Saul's baptized. Saul begins to preach. And again, the next day, imagine that. There's one guy here in town that's trying to kill all of you. And the next Sunday, I have him here on stage preaching. Everybody be a little nervous. And they were. We'll get to that, we'll get to that in, in upcoming weeks as this story begins to unfold. But what I want you to see is so many Christians are afraid to do something great for God because they're afraid it might hurt or they're afraid they might fail. And I'm here to tell you that we were built for that. 
Christians were meant to do things that cannot be done. We are meant to do the impossible. We're meant to, that's, if there's a word for it, it's called faith. Amen. Yeah. See, if you're not trying something that is so great that if God's not in it, it'll fail, you don't understand what Christianity is all about. If you aren't giving it a level that makes you uncomfortable, serving at a level that makes you uncomfortable, repenting at a level that you never thought you'd repent at, then you still don't get it. You're still scared. I love the story in, in, in the book of Esther. It may be the greatest story in the, in the scripture where Esther's the queen of Persia. And she's got to go talk to the king. And to talk to the king without being invited is an automatic death penalty. She tells her friends, pray and fast. I'll pray and fast. And I'll go talk to the king. And if I perish, I perish. She understood there was something bigger than her life, and that was God's kingdom. There's something far more important than you and I. And I know that's a hard concept for Americans to grasp because it's all about us. But, no, there's a world counting on us. The only hope that Florida has is the church. The only hope that the United States has is the church. The only hope that this world has is the church. And if you doubt that, I want you to just picture, take the church out of the world because that's what's going to happen at the rapture at the second coming of jesus tell me what's going to happen when all the people who give the money feed the children run the orphanages run the hospitals when all of those people are gone tell me what kind of a world it is that's why the church is so important so don't ever be scared it's like okay this is my chance now do i think Saul was scared? I do. I think he was terrified. Do I think Ananias was terrified? I do. But because those two men had the courage to do what they were told to do, you and I and billions of others in the Western Hemisphere now know Jesus because of those two men going, God, I'll do what you told me to do. Here's what Isaiah says. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Why am I not afraid? Because God's with me. God's got me. He upholds me. He provides. He's handling all of this. All right. You Alabama fans, I can't believe two weeks in a row, this is not going to happen again. But one more Nick Saban story. All right. <laughs> Kills me kills me but he said good stuff so i have to use it nick saban is talking about out on the recruiting trail and he goes we get stacks of, of of you know they get tapes they get they get video they get paperwork and he said every kid has the same thing he said it'll say two things on their form it'll say this kid is really fast this kid has great hands this kid can really kick. This kid has got a cannon for an arm. He said, I read that all day long. He said, that's not the part I care about. He said, at the end of that, there will always be one or two words. But or and. He'll say, has a great arm, but he can't get along with his teammates. Has a great arm, but he's terrible in the locker room. Has a great arm, but he struggles with alcohol. He said, then you read others and it says, has a great arm and he's got tremendous character. Has a great arm and 
He's taking care of his mom who's sick in the hospital. And he said, the people I want to recruit are the people that have and after their name. That's good stuff. That is good stuff. All right. So I'm going to pray and get out of here. If you need Jesus, you need to pray. I just want you to know it is never, ever too late. Father, I pray as we wrap this up that your spirit will work in the room. You'll work with the people watching online live or 10 years from now. uh, That your Holy Spirit's going to bring your word to bear on their lives. That we would know that it's never too late. We're never too evil. And we're never too scared to do what you've called us to do. So, Holy Spirit, would you do what only you can do and change hearts and minds and lives? In Jesus' name, God's people said.